Many of us have had some short-lived passions of one kind or another, uh, fads you might call them. I remember just a few years ago, kids, help me out here, it was silly bands were all the craze. Um, just little shaped rubber bands that kids wore on their arms. Some of your kids probably have hands that are smaller than the other because the circulation was just choked off for about three months or something with all those silly bands. But uh, we can laugh. I, we had our own versions of my childhood. Some of you children of the 70s, I mean, you had pet rocks. So who are you to judge? Silly bands. Um, in, in high school... Um, Ping pong became a short-lived passion of mine uh, for all of about six months. Uh, I, during, I think it was around like 93, that summer and fall of 93, a few friends of mine and I, we just got all in. We were crazy about some pong. And we had, you know, special paddles and we had, you know, had to be a three-star ball because that was all it was, you know, we would play with and we practiced all the time and we played, we even organized and hosted a little ping pong tournament in our community. <laughs> it was ridiculous, but uh but we couldn't get enough of it. And but but that passion for pong was short lived and we moved on and we sure had other things came and went but and I stink at it now so don't think. We have some Jerry Gray is he's a ping pong table tennis, excuse me, master. And so if you want to play somebody, he's the guy. Uh, last summer, we were at Grand Lake in northeast Oklahoma, which is where my dad uh, had lived for a few years. We This is where all our extended family is. And there were two ladies down the street. They were um, single widows. They had both, uh, they, they, they were good friends, lifelong friends, and they had moved in together there down the street from my dad. And they came over just to say hi with all the grandkids and all the activity down at uh, my dad's place. And... Our kids were in the driveway hula hooping. Uh, Well, their version of hula hooping. Uh, None of us really knew what we were doing. And they they saw this and they said, no, 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 that that's not going to work at all. Those are not real hula hoops. Uh, I'll bring you some real hula hoops. So sure enough, a few hours, they came back with professional hula hoops. I didn't know such a thing existed. One, I thought it was a little strange that they even had hula hoops. Uh, but they came back and they put on a demonstration. These are, I'm guessing, 60s, 70s, and taught lessons. And they were serious about hula. And um, the kids put on a little show, as the grandkids always do, when they get together or some kind of little play. And intermission was a hula competition. It was bizarre. Uh <laughs> But for most people, I think hula was one of those short-lived passions of the 50s and 60s, or I'm not sure exactly what era. Um, for these dear ladies, it was it was life, and they were serious about it. Um, I, I say all that in humor, but there's a risk in a series like this, and that that we can talk about lives leveraged for the gospel, and there's a there's a temptation and the danger that this might just become a short-lived passion like ping pong was for me in high school that we can get all fired up about maximizing our lives for the sake of the gospel and 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 yet we can try to just live off of that raw enthusiasm but but passion alone is not sufficient to 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 carry on a life that is leveraged for the gospel. That can excitement and hype. That can produce kind of a moment of mission. Okay, yeah, let's go on a short-term mission trip, or let's yeah, let's pull off this outreach event and let's do it. But it's not enough to to produce and to grow in us what we're really after and what we need to be after our whole lives. This is not just a campaign. This is just. Again, a reminder for us of why we exist. It's to, to see all of our life as mission. That we, we are to live on mission. This is why we've started this series by talking about the why of a leveraged life before we've even really begun to unpack the what, what it looks like. That starts next week and we're going to get real practical and trying to see, particularly in the life of Christ, what this looks like. 
But in order for this not to become just a fad or a kind of a phase for us, like, man, I remember back in 2015, man, that was a great year. Literally leveraged my life for the gospel. In order for not to become like that, we have to develop these deep convictions and this heart-level motivation to sustain this kind of resolve to, to have our hearts fully engaged in God's cause. And so this is why we began the first week, the most important thing. We need to be just fueled by the magnitude of God, that, that our hearts, we, are, we need to be so enamored with the glory of God and so full of the Spirit of God that we can't help but leverage our lives for the cause of God, the mission of God. And so that's preeminent, and that was showed up even in our singing this morning. Second, last week we looked at the need to be motivated by love, compassion, that, that we need to be so compelled by God's love for us that we show that love to others, those who are far from God. I was uh, thinking just this week, in light of last week's sermon, I remembered that um, that prayer of John Knox, who was a great uh, Scottish uh, Scottish pastor and preacher and he said give me scotland or i die and we need we need our own version of that lord give me jonesboro or i die give me fayetteville give me south metro atlanta give me my neighborhood give me my workplace give me my team give me my school or i die we need that kind of god to grow in us that kind of deep-seated abiding love for people and then today, we need to be gripped by this mandate that Christ has given us. We need to be so taken by the commission that Christ gave to his disciples to us that we just can't help but to go and to keep on going and going and going until he returns or we die and to make disciples. And so that's what we're seeing this morning. What is the mandate? I'm sorry. We are low tech today. I was smoking ribs yesterday instead of uh, making PowerPoint. So... You're just going to have to take notes and listen, really listen. And uh, that's that's good enough for me. And even if you don't want to take notes and you want to listen, that's fine also. But uh, but let's let's plow forward. What is this mandate? We're turn to Matthew chapter 28. That's where we uh, again, this mandate is given in many places in Scripture. But it's it's I think it's most clearly stated probably here in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Matthew 28. Let's start reading in verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, I should maybe even just stop there. What what has happened here in Matthew 26, 27, 25, 26, 27? Well, the whole world for the disciples has just exploded for them. They, they've been following Jesus now for three years. They've been with him, walking with him, watching him, learning from him. They, they, um, they're, everything seems to be going well. They enter Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. The crowds are all whipped up into a frenzy and it's exciting and, and they feel like there's really some traction now in this movement. Then Jesus later on says, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to die. You're going to be left alone. You're all going to deny. You're all going to run. You're all going to flee. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before morning. And he goes to the garden. And with sweat drops of blood, he's crying out to the Father, let this cup pass from me. It's dark. The disciples can't stay awake. Judas and the guards come by night, arrest Jesus. They take him. And just as Jesus said, the disciples scatter. And Jesus is left on the cross alone, dying in their place. And the disciples basically just go back to life, just traumatized by everything. Everything just came unraveled. And they go on. And, they, and yet they don't even, they're not waiting. They're not anticipating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They think it's over. Even though Jesus said he would rise. But yet Christ returns. He, he raises from the dead and he comes and he meets with his disciples and they see him face to face. So everything has changed. And so Jesus directs them to this mountain. And, and the, at verse 17 then, and when they saw him, imagine that moment. His, put yourself in the disciples of the shoes. They loved him. They had followed him. But yet they had seen, had seen him die. They had gone back to fishing, and here he rose from the dead. They saw him. 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Of course they did. But some doubted. We've said this before. This is not the doubt of unbelief. This is doubt of they wavered. They, they, they hesitated. They, they're, they're struggling to grasp what had happened, what all of this meant, how everything had changed. It's just overwhelming to them. The, the implications, they just are struggling to get their arms around. And so Jesus came, verse 18, to them. He came face to face and he rubbed their faces in their doubts. No. He came to them and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the mandate. That's that's our mandate. That's why we exist as a church. That's why you and I exist as Christians. Why the moment we were saved, the Lord just didn't take us home. We're not here just kind of hanging out until we die or until Christ returns. He's left us here with a mission. His cause. And this is why when you had, you saw the survey, uh, the, the draft mission statement. By the way, we're, we're, we are making progress on that vision 2020 process. You can pray the elders have a meeting this afternoon. We're talking about kind of as we've identified the real key issues for us as a church that are really strategic for us that we're working through those this afternoon and hopefully we'll have something to present to you in the, in a few weeks here. But, but the, one of the first questions on that survey was, was related to the mission statement and it's not Man, it's right out of Scripture to glorify God, to make disciples of all nations. This is this is why we exist as a church. We can't, we don't make up the mission. This is the mission Christ gave us to to. We exist to make disciples who make other disciples who make other disciples all to the glory of God. That's why we exist. And so that means then, I mean, one implication of that is the the best way to evaluate. How we're doing as a church is not by counting attendance, especially on 4th of July weekend. (laughs) It's not by looking at financial statements. It's not by, you know, keeping track of how many books of the Bible we preach in a year. It's not by how slick our website is or how tight our music is or how, how nice our facilities are, how comfy the chairs are. They're much better than they used to be if you're new here. I mean, just you can be thankful for that. I mean, those are all good things. I'm for attendance and good financial statements and comfy chairs. I mean, those are good things and they're fine. And and we can thank God for those things. But the best indicator to know whether we're doing what we're supposed to be doing or not is if we're making and nurturing new disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, that if the church has a scorecard, that's that's right at the top. That's it. And and so Lord help us. I mean and so let's let's lay ourselves open before the Lord and let this prompt us to to examine our own hearts cuz one of the things I, I, one of the things we see here is this mandate is for all of us. It's for all of us. So there's no finger pointing. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing or or, yeah, but we're doing it. We're doing it over there. We've got missionaries. This is their job. No, this is for all of us. Jesus didn't gather his disciples together on the mountain and say, you know what? Here's the mission if you choose to accept it. And if you want, if you're willing to jump in, you can go and make disciples of all nations. That's not what he says. And say, I need a few good men who are willing to help me out here. If you sense God's call in your life to take the gospel to the nations, why don't you stay behind after the service? Let's talk. If not, just go on, get a jump on the Piccadilly line today, and you're you're good. No, that's not it. There, this mission is for all of Christ's followers, all of Christ's followers. And we began this series. I, I tried to make that distinction, and it's, it's helpful to come back to. I, I know we we think of missions or mission. We think international what they do but the mission is what we're all engaged in this is us there aren't multiple versions of the christian life 
Like you have multiple versions of software. You have the professional edition and the home edition and the student edition where, you know, you've got the home edition that allows you to make, you know, garage sale flyers and, and that kind of stuff. But the, oh, but you can't handle the big stuff, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not like there's, there's a mandate for the professional missionaries and pastors and those kinds of things. And then there's a simplified version for the rest of us. There's not a great commission and a not so great commission. Um, there's, there's those who go and make disciples and then those who can just kind of cheer them on. That's not it. That's for all of us. None of us are exempt. We are all on mission with Christ. We, that's just it's who we are. And that's what I want you to see because next week we're going to talk about the what and the activity of what a leveraged life might look like for, for us and what a church that's leveraged for the gospel, how, how we might grow and how we might change. But before we talk about the activity, we need to understand that this is our identity. We are a sent church. You are a sent person. You, we, we have a missionary identity. And so we must understand that identity again before we get to the activity. A, a leveraged life isn't just about evangelistic activities and projects and missionary mission projects it's not just that it's 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 about seeing our lives as being held in the good and gracious grip of this mandate right here this has got to this has got to define who we are as people our identity is not ultimately tied to our jobs it's not tied to our family it's not tied to our ethnicity it's not tied to our culture it's not tied to our nation it's not tied to our hobby it's not tied to any of those things ultimately I'm not saying those things are irrelevant or unimportant our our ultimate identity is the fact that we have been sent by Christ to join him on his mission we are to be disciple makers in all of those, so, so then we begin to see our work, and we begin to see our family, and we begin to see our nation, and we begin to see our hobby, and we begin to see uh, our interests through the lens of our identity as disciple makers. That's a whole different, we're just flipping it over there. I hope you can see that distinction, and that's what we'll begin to really work through next week. I just want to say, none of us are exempt. Am I scaring you yet? <laughs> I'm a little scared. I'll be con- confess. I mean, I know maybe I ate too many jalapeno peppers yesterday. I, this is not the softball sermon post July 4th. I'm, but but I I get nervous. What what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? I mean, I'm excited, but and I'm not saying this is nothing new. This is what we've been doing. But in some, but the disciples were nervous too. You understand that? They worshipped him, but some some doubted. They're hesitant. What does this mean? Christ rose from the dead. Just that alone tells us nothing will ever be the same again. Work will never be the same again. Fishing, I'm not saying the disciples never fished again, but fishing was never the same again. Their family life was never the same again. How they related to their neighbors was never the same again. How they... Shopped in the market was never the same again because Christ was risen. As we have this new identity, my whole purpose has been altered by the reality of the empty tomb, and that's what Jesus is getting. And I'm grateful that this mandate, this mission is given in the context of doubt, of hesitation, of this kind of nervousness. That's God's grace to people like me and probably some of you. And so, are you, are you a little nervous, a little hesitant? Well, what does Jesus say to hesitant, uh, tentative disciples like you and me? Well, this is the first thing, and we'll, we're going to move quickly through this. The first thing Jesus says in verse 18 is that we, how I'm saying is we need to stand in awe of Jesus' cosmic authority. Just behold the greatness of his authority. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to these Doubting, hesitant, tentative disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven over the spiritual realm, over angels, over demons, over Satan himself 
And on earth, over nature, weather, disease, flu bugs, rulers, borders, economies, laws, media, terrorists, families, churches, over everything in heaven, everything on earth, all authority has been given to Christ. We serve a king who has authority over every square inch of the universe. We're going to be in Psalm 24 tonight, and it's a great parallel passage for us today and how it fits together begins the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein every single thing the lord says it's his he has sovereign dominion sovereign authority over and so understanding the unlimited authority of jesus in the world should give us confidence to move then out into a world that is hostile to god Because he is over it. He has all authority. This is a game changer for us, church. This is what gets us who are tentative and frightened to walk across the street and to engage our neighbor. This is what sets us free with love and boldness to go. John Stott is relating this even kind of the broader even to world missions. But he says the fundamental basis of all Christian missionary enterprise is is the universal authority of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. If the authority of Jesus was restricted on earth, if he were but one of many religious teachers, one of many Jewish prophets, one of many divine incarnations, then we would have no mandate to present him to the nations as the Lord and Savior of the world. And then he says, if the authority of Jesus were limited to heaven... If he had not decisively overthrown the principalities and powers, we might still proclaim him to the nations, but he would, but we would never be able to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And then last sentence, only because all authority on earth belongs to Christ, dare we go to all nations, and only because all authority in heaven as well as his have we any hope of success. It has The implications of that statement alone. I mean, anything else Jesus says from this point, we just say, okay, yes. If you have all authority, the one who just died and rose from the dead says this, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. I don't care what you say. You say sit, I sit. You say jump, I say how high. I mean, it's that. You say go make disciples, I'm gone. Because you have all authority. We don't need to be coaxed or convinced in any other statement. That alone is sufficient. So, so if we're hesitant, if we freeze and we just can't open our mouths and we have an opportunity to represent Christ at work. Or if we just can't convince ourselves to walk across the street and invite our neighbors to dinner. Or if we just... We just Get nervous every time we see the JWs block our driveway and won't let us pull out on Saturday morning. Then we need this word from Christ. We need it. He's saying to nervous disciples like you and me, he says, all authority in heaven on earth is mine. It's mine. You tell them and you call them to believe upon me. I have all authority. You can can proclaim this exclusive gospel in a pluralistic age. And this exclusive gospel renders every other religion null and void. And you say that because I have all authority. You you don't have to manipulate people or coax them into doing something against their will. You don't have to manufacture results and make it look better than things better than they are. Because I have all authority. You don't have to threaten people. You don't have to disguise the truth. You can speak the truth in love. Because I have all authority. You can, you can do this because I won. Now, therefore, in light of that, go. Go. Listen, this is what I want you to see. Is that our response... To Jesus' command to go and make disciples, really, it reveals how much we truly believe Jesus has all authority. If we're not going and making disciples, this is, I'm talking to myself here, and I've been crushed by this statement all week. The degree to which 
we're going and making disciples is really the degree probably to which we believe Jesus has all authority. Deeply. So that's the first thing. We need to just stand in awe of just the complete, total, cosmic authority of Christ. It's in in light of that then that we have, that we need to secondly listen to Jesus' clear instructions. Listen to his clear instructions. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go. Go. Does he say, go back home. Be a good moral person until I come back. Go, go protect yourself from the world. Isolate yourself from, from the bad people. Insulate your family. Do all you can to keep it out. And then one of these days I'll come back and I'll let you know when it's safe to come out of your bunker. Is that what he says? Go, go, go study your Bible. Get advanced degrees in Bible. Just, just study, study, study. Go debate what it means to go. Have conferences on going and, and small groups and classes that talk about the best way to go. No, he says, go. Make disciples of all nations. What's a disciple? That's, maybe we should start there. I mean, that, this is what we're supposed to be making. We need to understand what it is. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. And those first disciples, when Jesus called them, he says, you follow me. Just follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Even there, even in following Jesus and fishing for men or together, a disciple is a disciple maker. You can't be a disciple of Jesus. I mean, an obedient disciple if you're not making disciples. But, but this is, this is it. So this is a disciple, simply a follower of Jesus. So what then is disciple making? It's telling other people about Jesus and calling them to follow him as well. Or we could say it's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people are converted, saved, changed, being transformed, growing, and, and, and growing in that gospel. And so he says, go, make disciples of all nations. How do we do this? He, he explains how. The, he says, baptize. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That when the gospel is proclaimed and people trust in Christ as their Savior, the first step for them is to identify with Him through baptism. That as Jesus was buried in the earth and, and was raised on the third day to new life, so the new Christian is buried underwater and we don't leave him there. It's okay. Don't get nervous if you're thinking about being baptized. We bring you back out again. It's a symbol. It's a Death and burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you're identifying with Him. It's baptism is when the new Christian he goes public. I'm with Christ. It's non-negotiable. We all who follow Christ, they should be baptized. And how I pray for more baptisms. I pray that there's deacons up here all the time on Saturdays filling the water and that thing and keeping it warm, please. And not, not, to boost that, so we don't post it on the wall. And that's not it at all. It's because of what baptism represents. It means that a new disciple of Jesus Christ has been made to the glory of God. And we want to see more of that. We want to pray for more of that. Maybe I just, have you put your trust in Christ as Savior? Are you, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? The, 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 God, the good news and the, the way that we become a Christian is not by, it's not by getting our act together and cleaning ourselves up so that we can, can stand in the Lord's side and Him be okay with us. It's not by being better than other people. It's not by going to church enough or it's not by being baptized. It, the, the, the gospel is that Christ has done what we could never do. He came. He lived a perfect life. He never disobeyed God's word. He kept the law perfectly, which we could never done. He never sinned. The Bible says he was tempted to sin, just like we are. He never once did. Kids, his, his mom and dad got angry with him because they were sinners, but he didn't get angry back. Not sinfully. He, 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 he didn't tell a lie to get out of trouble. He didn't do any, because he wasn't in trouble. He didn't, he didn't do anything wrong his whole life. 33 years. And yet... He, he died in the place of sinners. He was, it pleased the Father to crush him. So the, 
He died in, in our place as our substitute for our sin. And he took on himself the punishment of God for our sin. Not for any of his own because he had no sin. And yet he didn't stay dead. He was buried and he rose on the third day. And so uh, conquering death, showing that the father was pleased with the son's sacrifice for sin. And it opens to us then the opportunity for all who call upon the Lord, believe in Jesus Christ, who say, I have no confidence in anything but except what Christ has done in my place. Those who call upon the Lord like that, they can, you can be saved. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have new life. You can, the Bible uses a fancy word, be justified. You can be declared righteous, perfect in God's sight. Not because of what you're, how clean you are on your own, but because of what Christ has done for you. So if you've not trusted in Christ, I, I beg you and plead with you to, to believe in Him today. Come to know this life. And then, if you've trusted in Christ, whether it's in the last 30 seconds or in the last 30 years, but you haven't been baptized, I, I urge you to... To seek that. Identify with Jesus Christ through baptism. But to all of us, are, are, you doing, are you doing your part? Am I doing my part to obey this mandate that leads to baptism? Are, are we sharing the gospel with others? Are we supporting those who share the gospel in other parts of the world? Are you praying for the salvation of those around you and around the globe who don't know Christ? Are we doing our part in this aspect of the mandate to make disciples, that, those, that, that which leads to baptism? And then he says, teach. So baptize, teach. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, that those who believe in Christ and then are baptized, they need to be taught. Not just, not just facts, not just information, but they need to be taught the truth that Christ taught And they need to have it connected to life so that they observe it. That's what he says. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And and this is what I want you to see. You are a teacher if you are a Christian. If you are an obedient Christian, I should say. You you can't obey the Great Commission without teaching. You say, I'm not a teacher. Because we think classroom, chairs, maybe tables, all lined up, facing a podium, whiteboard, or screen behind you that's a teacher i'm not that but you are a teacher that's not the picture you need to see you need to have a picture of two guys walking down the road together talking or two guys commuting together to work talking about the scriptures or you got a dinner table with barbecue and open bibles on it that's a great scene in my mind it makes me hungry um picture a mom with her son on her lap Reading the scriptures, singing, praying with that's that's teaching. You're teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. You don't have to be a trained teacher, though some of you should be and are. You just need to teach people to do observe what Christ commanded. That's what it takes to be a disciple maker. You you do what it takes to baptize and then you teach them how to follow Christ. We often attach to that teaching to observe all that I commanded you. If we're not careful, we can attach to that all the things that Jesus spent so much time erasing during his teaching ministry. All of the moralism, all the legalism. This doesn't mean just go and teach them rules. This should, this is, that would be a reversal of what Christ preached. This, this means remember what I, remember what, this is Jesus saying, remember what I told you about practicing your righteous deeds before men? You go tell them that. And and it will set them free. You you remember what I said about prayer, how it's not just it's not just some public display of super spirituality, but it's intimate communion between you and the Father? You remember remember when I said that? You you teach them that and it will totally transform their lives. It will completely recalibrate their hearts. And this is, this is what it is. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It's, it's recalibration. As an unbeliever, we're thinking, living, acting this way. And now we're, 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 we're to think, act, live according to what Christ has taught, commanded to us, to observe it. And, and it goes on for the entire life of the disciple. Never stops. We need constant recalibration. 
Are you supporting then this part of the mandate that that involves building up those who have been brought to faith? Are you teaching others? Is the Bible on your tongue? Are you opening the scriptures and with 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 your family and with and, and with your friends? Are you are you talking with others about what you're learning on Sundays and throughout the week as you read the scriptures together? Are you are you reading the Bible in in small groups and with other believers? Just one more thing about these instructions before we get to this this promise that is we we got to get to because it's key to everything. But Jesus says we're to go and make disciples of all nations, and I kind of alluded to this earlier. But first thing I'd say is we are nations, we are the ethnos, we are the ends of the earth, as Acts one eight following there says that we are we are saved. We we know the salvation that we know because those first disciples and those who followed after him took the command of Jesus seriously and went to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ to make disciples. We are the far reaches of the earth as we think historically and geographically. And so that's the first thing I'd say. Second, I would say there's there's two ditches we can go off in thinking about this mandate and to go to all the nations that we can think that it doesn't apply to us and it only applies to those missionaries, those those that are going to those other nations and getting on airplanes and flying elsewhere, that it just applies to them. I've already dealt with that. But we can also, though, be consumed with our lives and our communities that we forget about those other nations, that we at the same time need to realize that our identity is we are the sent ones. We are we have a missionary identity. We have been sent where we are to make disciples where we live. And yet at the same time, we're also senders. And you see this modeled in Acts. They are they are scattered because of persecution. They're going and making disciples. And yet they're also sending others out to go even further, to go further, to go further. And so that's we need to hold that as a church. So this isn't. This isn't setting aside world missions so we can just focus on here. No, we we need to continue to be growing as a sent community, growing in missionary identity here. And we need to be continually and increasingly sending those out to the ends of the earth, those places where the gospel hasn't penetrated, the church hasn't taken root. So it's both. Our missionaries are special. That's a wonderful Work and and it's unique and it ought to be recognized. They do unique work, but the but what makes them unique is not that they obey the Great Commission and we don't get we don't have to. Their decision to leverage their lives for this mandate isn't what sets them apart. What makes them special and unique is that they go far away to do it, and it's different, isn't it? <laughs> we have we have siblings and parents and. Of those that do just that. And, and, and there are special challenges that come with that. And some of you maybe should go. Maybe maybe there are those young people or empty nesters. And maybe the Lord, you feel this call of God to, to go. Go to some of those places and, and make the gospel known where he's, where Christ isn't named. And, 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 but all of us are to go where we are. We're to, to go out our front doors. We're to go across the street. We're to go down the hall. We're to go to the grocery store. We're to go to the, to the mailbox with a letter. We're to go to the telephone. I mean, going is to characterize our lives, making disciples and going. I'm grateful for all the going that goes on here. This is not a scold. I have seen more going from you, many of you than I've seen from anybody in my life, and I... I learn from you all the time. I say, keep it up, and let's the rest of us let's join in, and and join in that. So we have the clear instructions of Christ. Third thing, finally, is draw comfort from Jesus' continual presence. Draw comfort from Jesus' continual presence. Jesus, Jesus isn't like a little league coach who just slaps his players on the back and says, "You go get them." Work hard. You can do it. No, he's like a he's like a general who's riding in front of the army out to battle. He, he's he's present in this battle for souls. He's verse twenty, the end of verse twenty. And behold, that's emphatic. Behold, see, get this. He's just getting us by the shoulders and in love, just shaking. Pay attention to what I'm about to say to you. That's what the behold 
remember from our time in the Gospel of Matthew, see, get this, I, and that's emphatic too, I myself am with you. So it's bracketed, this charge is bracketed by the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So whatever he says, we, we say yes. And then he gives us the instructions. Then he comes back and says, behold, get this now. I myself am with you always to the end of the age. What else do we need? Why, why am I so slow? Why am I so timid? As we go, as we obey this mandate to go make disciples of all nations, Jesus himself goes with us by the Holy Spirit. The same one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So do you want, one of the implications is this, do you want to know more of Christ in your life? I think, I hope that there is that desire. Lord, I want to know you. I want to, I want to just experience the power of your presence in my life more. How is that going to take place? Is that just by sitting in a room by yourself and staring at the ceiling until it just kind of you're zapped with? No, you throw yourself into what, what Christ is doing in this world, what He cares about more than anything else until He returns. Seeing the gospel go forward and disciples made so that He can receive the reward of His suffering. And so you throw yourself into that, and it's in that place that you're most assured of His presence. And so you have Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, a guy who leveraged his life well for the sake of the gospel. He's recounting all of his sufferings for the gospel, and, and yet he has this real promise of Christ. And he knows, he says, all deserted me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He, he understood Christ is Present with us. Always. And when everybody else deserts us. To the end of the age. As Christ is in us. And he's with us by his spirit at all times. And that's true if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not that he comes and goes. As he pleases. But there's a sense in which. And this is what I think he's getting at. There's a sense in which we experience his presence and power. When we're on mission with him in a way that we won't. By just vegging out watching cat videos on YouTube. If you want to know Christ, get engaged with what He's doing. If, if I want to know Nelson Wallace, I want to, I'm not just going to say, just kind of wait for him to just kind of show up and talk about himself. I'm, I'm going to go down to the Wallace farm and I'm going to sweat with him as he weed eats and does whatever he does and woodworks. And I'm going to engage with what he's doing if I want to know Nelson. If I want to know Christ. I'm be fully in with what he's, his cause in this world. See, so he says, I'm with you. Always. Continually to the end of the age. He's never going to leave. As long as the world's last. We, we have Christ in this world. We have this assurance. This is what David Livingston, who was a Scottish explorer and missionary to Africa, many parts of Africa in the 19th century, he labored under unbelievable hardship. I just read his account of his life. And not long after he arrived on the field there, he was attacked by a lion and he suffered all kinds of damage to his left arm. It was maimed and he lost use of it for the rest of his life. Welcome to Africa. His wife died in 1862 of fever. I mean, just, just one suffering after another. He lost everything a man could lose while serving Christ on the mission field, but he never held back. He just kept going. He, he was very good at staying in touch with friends and family back in England, and he wrote letters almost every day, and this is something we get to enjoy the fruit of. And these letters can contain these incredible stories of his hardships and, and adventures and the progress of the gospel, and so much so that his relatives began releasing these letters and sending them to the newspaper, and they started getting printing and getting printed. And so he became this famous, this famous person in, in England, and he didn't even know it. 
Because he didn't know any of this was happening. So he comes back for furlough. And, I mean, he's greeted with this incredible welcome. And there's this big ceremony at the University of, of Glasgow uh, in, in honoring him. And he's, so he's, he's there and he's preparing to return to Africa. And they ask him to speak about life as a missionary and the challenging challenges that he faces. And this is what he says, among other things. But he says, I return without misgiving and with great gladness. Would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude toward me was often hostile? It was this. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. On these words, I staked everything and they never failed. The presence of Christ is our greatest comfort. Disciples like you and me that are nervous, hesitant. Christ assures us, I'm with you. I'm with you. And his presence isn't just comforting, it's necessary. That, that we, we cannot make disciples of all nations if God is not working. We can't do it by human effort or wise planning. We need both, but that's not enough. That we need, if the gospel is to succeed around the globe or across the street, God's Spirit has to work. And He's present with us. He's present. Christ is present by His Holy Spirit. This is why when Jesus, in in Acts there, Jesus gives these instructions to His disciples, the text says, and and then He gives this instruction, wait. Wait. You're thinking, what? Wait. No. Just go. Just, there's a mass of humanity that's in need of the gospel. What? Why would we wait? But he says, wait, because before you move out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, you need something that you don't have yet, and that's the Holy Spirit. He says, you wait. You, he has to be with you. But let me, this is the church, this is, we don't have to wait anymore. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit in you. You have Christ dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit they had Pentecost, we have the same presence of Christ they knew, we know. So therefore we can go make disciples of all nations. And this is, church, we need to be gripped by this mandate. And that's how I've been praying for my own life and for us this week. Some of you really, really are. I mean, I thank God for that. And, and others of us maybe kind of are. Others of us, we maybe you're even this morning. <sighs> What's for lunch? We, we need we need our hearts engaged by God's cause. We need our we need to be gripped by this mandate. And and for those of you that really really are, I want to be like you as you are like Christ. I want to learn from you. I want this to be the defining feature of our church as we. Move forward that, that we live on mission. We are making disciples who make disciples who make disciples for the glory of God. And, and I'll say it again, none, none of us are exempt. There are no draft dodgers. You know, draft dodgers, we like to, we like to hurl insults at, at, at that caricature, but there are men who wanted all the privileges of being an American citizen without being willing to fight for their country. Some of us, sadly, can live like this. We, we want all, we get all excited about the privileges of being a disciple of Jesus, and yet we're unwilling to obey Jesus' orders to actually go and make new disciples of Christ. And so we can think of all kinds of reasons why we cannot or should not throw ourselves into this and begin leveraging our lives for God's cause. I don't feel called to this. I have too much on my plate right now. I don't know enough. I have too many issues of my own. Once I get my own life in order, then I'll, then I'll start on this. As real as those may be, Jesus' commandment, uh, Jesus' mandate gives us no, there are no exception clauses. And God has made you who you are. Get used to that. You need to be a sanctified, growing version of who you are, but He's made you who you are, your personality, your gifts. He's placed you where you are. He may move you, but you're where you are right now. And and he's provided and will continue to provide everything you need to leverage your life for his purposes. 
And he has given you his presence. He's with you. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he calls us then to look at the people around us and start start making them into disciples. Now realize only God can change people's hearts just as he was the only one that could change ours. And only he can make them want to become followers of Christ. But our job is to be obedient in making the effort to point them to Christ, to show them what it means to follow Jesus. Let's, let's, let's throw ourselves into that work, church. Well, here's the, here's the final just little action. I, I hope that you are. I hope that and if you haven't yet, it's not too late. I ask you to find somebody that you can talk with and for accountability through the series and begin praying together for two or three people in your life that God has put on your heart that you would like to, to move forward, move toward them with the gospel. I would just say this, invite one of those two or three people this week to lunch, to, to a meal. Have a meal with them this week. Ask questions. I mean, not just weather, sports, but you can talk about those things. But just a question or two that begins to kind of crack their hearts open. We talked about some of those questions last week. And then really listen to them. And, and, and listen for opportunities to, to give witness to Christ. That doesn't mean you have to go through the whole gospel in that one meeting. you got to... No, you be patient. The Lord is sovereign over the time, and you've got to be faithful to give witness to Christ, appropriate, bold witness, loving witness, speaking the truth in love. So I would just say, just do that this week. Just find one of those people that you're praying for, whether it's having their family over for a meal, whether it's going out for lunch, uh, going to coffee, but doing something to, to, to begin to further that relationship. Next week, again, we're going to get really practical maximizing the mundane. How can we leverage just the normal stuff of life, like meals, for disciple-making? And Jesus is a great example here, and we, we, he showed us how to do it, and we have much to learn. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we, we do pray that, that this... I pray again, Lord, as, as we began by talking, I pray that even this morning this would not be just a pep rally where we get all excited and fired fired up to do one task to have a meal but this would just that these little steps would be um, part of the process of becoming more of seeing all of our life as being on mission as seeing a new identity as a disciple maker of jesus christ Uh, lord work this into the kind of the dna of this church even more so than it it already exists. Thank you for where it does exist. Thank you for the legacy and the history of faithfulness and the Great Commission, both around the globe and in our own community. And many in this room are here because of the faithful witness of other people in this room. We give you thanks for that. It's your grace, Lord. And we just pray that you would help us to press on in that work and grow even more in it, excel still more. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.